welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast, and I'm your host, Brendan O'Neill. I'm a Canadian expat living in Phuket, Thailand, and Fruiting Body is a medicinal mushroom company. Our intentions of this podcast is to connect with people living on the island and share their stories with you. This is episode 13 with Tim Newton. Tim is the founder of of the tiger news he's australian born from melbourne um and we're gonna jump into his story of when he originally came over to Phuket, uh what he was doing here and how he started the tiger the tiger is absolutely booming now as it's the main news news source for expats and farangs not only living in phuket but also living in thailand so let's start with tim's story from the begin from the be- from the very beginning in Mornington, Victoria, Australia. Let's start from the young lad, Tim. And how did, how did that start from the beginning of your life? And let's bring that into the uh, media side and connect it all together. I can barely remember what I had for breakfast this morning, <laughs> let alone go back 62 years. It's been a long time. Well, don't tell everyone your age. I mean, I thought... Ah, uh, well, it's no, no yeah, secret. There we go. You got the wrinkle filter, haven't you? Yeah, I think we got some sort of Snapchat Good. filter, yeah. So you you started off, uh, you're born in Mornington. Yeah. And this is just south of Melbourne down the peninsula. It's sort of gone full circle because I've always loved being near the beach. And I grew up in a little beachside suburb of Melbourne, about an hour out of town. And in those days, uh, there was only a population of some 5,000 people, only five digits in the telephone numbers. And it was uh, a good way to grow up as a little guy in um, a little town. Mm. And it was very Australian. I had two, uh, had two parents who were hardworking people and I couldn't have had a better upbringing. And what were they doing? Were, they, were your parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, anyone involved in the media business? Well, yes, uncles. We'll get to that. But my parents both worked in a hardware store where I spent my, um, my sort of quiet moments uh, sort of trying to help customers. But I realised I was never going to be in retail people coming in saying, oh, I'd like a can of paint. And I'd be going, what colour? Well, what, what sort of paint? What do you want to do with it? I mean, and I was always, I was never going to be a good customer services mm-hmm. person. Um, but both my parents were both very hard working. My mother was from New Zealand. My father was uh, from Australia. And uh, my uncle was a, well, a local TV star. He used to work um, on a program called World of Sports. Okay, and his name was uh, Colin Long, and he used to do the uh, the tennis commentary and the golf commentary for that station for some quarter of a century. So I used to go in and watch him do his stuff, and I thought this looks interesting. And it was really through him that I got my love for the media. Then my one of my first jobs uh, was in a radio station in Melbourne. I basically lied and uh, sort of got into the promotions department. And then somehow wangled my way into the production area. And then suddenly I was on air at the age of about 23 through did, a series of complete missteps and serendipity. Did, did you kind of just jump jump into that? Did you have to go to university and get a background at that time? or I failed everything at school. Mm. And I sort of just strolled into jobs and somehow started, uh, you know, clean brushing the floor and just working my way up. Uh, so I went to the University of Life. I went to yep. the University of Make It Up As You Go. and uh, fake, fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. And I'm still doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it goes. I mean, sure. we're, we're, we're the same. I'm, but I'm not qualified in anything. And, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, not a journalist. I'm uh, 
not qualified in law, but I've had to learn all those aspects about the media and law and, uh, and of course, about Thai culture, of course, uh, along the way to get where I am now. And when you first started that, that job, this, uh, it was a news broadcast or program. It was, uh, like, uh, it was on the, the Australian television. And when you started there, did you have, what were your dreams and aspirations, your goals from that point? I mean, anyways, take it away with that. Well, I was doing radio uh, as a production job and then as a sort of a, gee, I was 23 or 24, and I was like a news talk host. And I did it really badly and ended up getting sacked mm. uh, after swearing somewhat at a uh, the president of the abortion lobby in Victoria. I can't remember what I said to her, but I got sacked anyway. And then I thought I was, uh, you know, I was pretty good, and I was waiting for the phone to ring with my next offer in the media, but it never came along. Then I sort of uh, one day applied for a job as a newsreader at an FM radio station. This is in the early days where FM was becoming a big thing in Australia. What year was this, approximately? Oh, this was in eighty-five, <laughs> eighty-six. Okay. And I started reading news for um, Ulsterio was the name of the company. And they had three radio stations. It was Fox FM, Triple M FM and Gold FM. We had one newsroom serving the three. And so we used to do the three different types of news for the three different profiles of the radio. The rocky jockey one and then the sort of the calm adult contemporary so we used to have to change the, the so tone what, of what our was voices. You, was it just you you're, You were playing all three characters? Well, yeah, we had to sort of adjust our tone and the way. So you'd walk out of one news booth into the next yeah. one. You have to go, okay, this is the young 18-year-olds. Uh, We've got to funk it up a bit. Mm. And uh, we used to play pranks on each other. It was good times. C- but can I, we get a quick soundbite? No, no, well, no, probably much <laughs> No, I mean of, your, of yourself. Can you remember the member of those characters? Or, uh? Well, it wasn't so much characters. It was just really an adjustment of the way oh, you okay. read the news and probably the speed you read the news. Mm. Like on Triple M, the rock station, we had about a minute and a half to get all the news out. But on the adult contemporary, we had about three minutes. The hardest thing was it was all network news. So we had a uh, like a one and a half minute space to do the news. And you had to time it out exactly to a minute and a half. So you used to the last couple of stories were sort of a bit sort of broken up. So you could ride them and riff as you go. And you're sort of watching the clock and trying to get the words out. And you'd finish right on the dot. You had the timer there as yeah. the, the you're using a news prompter. Be, going be, be, well, no, we were just reading off bits of paper. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not back then. There's no news prompter. No screens in yeah. those days. Uh, this is, you know, the days of black and white and steam-driven radio. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it taught me a lot of the sort of the disciplines of, of radio. And those disciplines of radio have really transferred all the way through. Never had any allusions to doing TV. No interest in being on the front of the screen. That all happened really in the last two years here mm. in Phuket. And at, at that point, uh, you're, you're still a young kid. You're, you're on the, now you're on the news radio. What was your next step? Did you have like a goal from there? Okay, from here, I believe this is go- going to be my news corporate ladder, let's call it. Well, no, I, I think I was always just interested in trying to make a buck. Um, I had an events company. Um, I had a yacht importing company. Uh, I designed a yacht and built a boat. Yeah, I and read about you sailed did boats, racing, yacht boat, racing, yacht racing. Yes. Yeah, yacht racing. Uh, I got a, a 
yeah, pilot license and I thought I might become a pilot for a while. Mm-hmm. So I think I went through that, uh, that whole 20s and 30s. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do, but I'm going to try everything. And so I became an expert, um, what do you call it, a master of... Uh, what is it, a renaissance man? I'm, I'm, yeah. Uh, you wore um, many hats. and Wore many hats, yes. yes. But I was never particularly good at any one thing, but I did a lot of them. It sounded impressive on a resume. Yeah. Well, you diversified your, your experiences, which kind of can build you to where you are now. Yeah. And at, at which point did everything click that you said, I mean, you, you've diversified, you're doing yacht racing, you're doing news. Um, when did you say media is my thing? I'm Now this is what I'm going after. Well, actually, before I came to Thailand to live, uh, I was actually moving into the, the boat sales market. And wh- so and which year are we at now? Uh, this is uh, about 11, 12 years ago. Okay. Still in Australia, I'd made quite a lot of money from events and other things, uh, all of them legal, by the way. Yeah. And at that stage, I decided I was going to uh, yeah, invest in my love, which was boats and boat racing, invested a lot of money uh, in a project that uh, in 2008, after the financial world financial collapse, went completely broke and I lost everything. Mm. So there I was, 50, no money, in a country I realised I probably couldn't afford to live in uh, for the next 20, 30, 40 years into my retirement. And uh, I had to make some quick decisions. So at that stage I thought, well, where can I live in the world which is going to have a, a lower cost of living where I can have a good quality of life and look at uh, what I'm going to do in the future. So I didn't really come here for any other reason but to have a bit of a break. And here I am now, 10 years later, still working it out. Yeah, I think uh, Sean, well, you're familiar with Sean Stenning with sure. uh, Five Star Marine. He's doing some great stuff. And you've cover, right. covered their stuff as well. His story is actually quite similar. Came here for a break and never left. Yeah. And the thing is, uh, people sort of think, uh, like my family think I sit here and I sit on the beach drinking out of long glasses with a, a coloured straw mm. and getting a suntan. But, I mean, I work behind a computer most of the day. I never worked harder in my life. Probably in some ways I've never been quite so passionate about what I do. And I sort of do the one thing every day. My brain used to float very quickly to hither and thither and I wasn't terribly patient. I think Thailand's taught me to be patient and then applying that to the challenges of the uh, the news and media business at the moment and then trying to sort of add a bit of creativity and free thinking to that business, which is changing so fast. Well, is it just the patient being the, the patient side, or is it also the focus side and the the dedication and you know sticking on a single goal and a st- a staying in your lane, let's say? Well, I'm st- certainly staying in my lane these days. Yeah. I, I don't do all these side pro- projects, and I'm uh, spending 12, 14 hours a day, seven days a week, just trying to reinvent the media because Mm -hmm. it has to be reinvented because the old model's dead. And if we don't do it, then we won't survive. So a lot, a lot of people, unless you're in the, the the production industry, which by no means we are, we've slapped this thing together overnight. Um, Your equipment's better than ours. (laughs) Much uh, better. We decided we just, your set's mildly better. Yeah. This is, we don't even know what's going on here, but odd, but, yeah, we, we got the, I don't know, we got the Muay Thai and mushrooms thing going on connected Surfboard. to the boxing gloves. Yeah, boxing gloves. We didn't want to overdo it. This is the... I think uh, you have Kong. overdone it pretty well. Yeah, we didn't, there's a lot of messages going on on this, this wall here. We wanted to simplify it, but then it's quite blue. But um, 
back to back to that point was people that are, that are not in let's say news media or production can you explain a little bit what you mean by the old business model of media production and news compared to today what are the differences what are the advantages and disadvantages and where do you see it going next it looks a very involved topic but to try and simplify it there used to be the the, the triumvirate of media there was print radio and television mm-hmm. and they were basically the there was a, a demarcation between those industries and you worked on this one this one or that one and there were journalists and there were presenters and they there were stars and there were layers of, of production in, in all three industries. Uh, for the newspapers, it ended up as a newspaper at the end of the day. For radio, it ended up as live radio playing largely music. Uh, and that was all very involved with the music industry. And then, of course, you had TV, which had all its uh, layers. And it ended up on, uh, in my country, four or five TV stations that decided when you watch particular programs and you arranged your time of the day if you wanted to watch a particular show. Now, gradually, all those industries have radically changed. I believe the news industry has probably been the one that's now going through its major disruption now, Mm -hmm. although the disruption started about 20 years ago when the internet came about. And that really set what's happening now. What do you mean by disruption? Disrupt, disruption. And well, I read that on your LinkedIn. You said disrupt, disrupting media. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I do think it's not as if we go out of our way or waking up in the morning thinking we're going to disrupt the media today. <laughs> it's not like that. It's just that we need to disrupt the old model and have to find new ways of creating revenue mm-hmm. fr- from news because the old way simply isn't working. I mean, people are not reading newspapers anymore. For sure. Well, there are a few newspapers around. I mean, in Thailand, you've got the Bangkok Post. still comes out every day. Yep. Uh, in Phuket, they've still got the Phuket News that comes out every week. I have no idea how they do it. But kudos to them for being able to keep that model going at this time. Mm-hmm. But for us, uh, we the, the Tiger has grown out of uh, a, a radio station, an FM radio station, and then merged with an old media company that had a newspaper. And the first questions were, well, should we start the newspaper again? And we all went, no, absolutely insane. Do you think the newspaper is it's dead now? It's just a paperweight? It's a Look, decoration? What I, is I it? think there is a certain amount of nostalgia. There are still some residual people, and they're going to be older people, that like the feel of the paper. They like to see stories here and this and the turning, the, the smell of the print. I don't know what it is, but there is still some nostalgia. But the fact is that every single day, uh, an eight-year-old who used to enjoy reading the newspaper is going to pass away. And another hundred smartphones are going to be sold. Mm -hmm. And that is where people are getting their news these days. And it's irrevocable. You can't go back. The cost of print is just getting higher and higher. And the fewer newspapers or publishers there are, the higher those costs get. So that model is just slowly vanishing into the distance. And we might, people my age, have a, a nostalgic feel. Oh, I used to read the three papers every day. and I used to, But it's a model that we can't enjoy anymore mm-hmm. because it's just not cost effective. And the fact is that you driving up Patong Hill, stopping and going, there's been an accident, taking a photo and publishing it on Facebook. You're a journalist. You've passed on some news. 
and you've passed it on almost instantly. And the thing is that newspaper is either going to pass on that news at the end of the, the next morning or in the case of a weekly newspaper, it doesn't really make sense, it's a bit of an oxymoron, mm-hmm. next week. They're getting there too late anyways. And there are now thousands and thousands of people who have got these smartphones that can take broadcast quality, not only uh, video, but photos of course, publish them instantly and that's where people are getting their information from. Now, of course, there are companies like us who try and gather all that information and turn it into a, what you might call a traditional story, or in our case uh, with the YouTuber you know, video, and actually bring it all together and say, we have checked this, we've made sure the facts are correct, these people are saying that, these people are saying that, this is what we believe is happening, we'll mm-hmm. update you soon. Uh, but... To do that, the concept of journalism has changed so fundamentally and the more social media there is and the more people that are having distrust with their governments and with their media, it's getting harder and harder to project yourself as uh, an authority in the news. So the the ones that do say, we've been around for 100 years, you can trust us, Mm -hmm. it's getting very hard for them to win that battle because the social media is just taking over. Yeah, but... I mean, the flip side to that is people who are are doing their social media and doing this live news, like you said, uh, this example, let's say a car crash, the quality that they're providing um, cannot be comparable to an actual media company where you can articulate yourself a little bit better, much better. It's more digestible. um, And it's a source that people can come visit every day. I, I would assume, and this is actually for myself personally, I would rather visit that median and go through that to understand this news and digest it in this way than, you know, seeing friends post, again, car crash content. uh, Okay, well, there's another dynamic that's been happening, and this has been happening over 20 years, and it probably originated in the US, and sadly with um, an Australian called Rupert Murdoch, who decided in the, uh, the 90s to weaponize media to a political end. And he hired a very clever guy called Roger Ailes. They they created the Fox Network. And they decided they are going to write news and curate news for a particular political bent. For like an agenda, a political agenda of what they're... Sure, sure. So they said, okay, we're going to go and chase this, these people, and we're going to market to them with the news. And we're going to say to our advertisers, if you want to get to these right-wing conservative audience, we've got them. We've got all of them. They watch us. So they sort of uh, curated a media channel, which is meant to be free and honest media. So they biased the media. Now, that's been followed by a whole lot of other media who have reacted to this and gone far left. Some of them are in the middle. But basically every media now in a place like America, people pigeonhole them into one of these political uh, pigeonholes. Yeah, it's uh, what, which team are you on? Pick yeah. A, pick a side. And I think that's a very dangerous precedent, but it, it's certainly the way that the American media has been going and it's polarised an audience. What it's done is I think it's destroyed a lot of the trust in the, the media. So now a lot of people that don't trust the media, they blame the, what they call the MSN, the mainstream media. They're, mm. they're sort of the, the, the devils at the moment. Oh, the mainstream media say this, they're all parroting the same thing, so therefore it's wrong. What I believe, my opinion is correct. 
And th- this distrust in the media and to a large extent distrust in governments is a very perilous time for the world when you're trying to find where's the truth, where's the honesty. So for us, uh, just as a small media company in, uh, in, in a small country, we've actually gone really straight down the middle and we say to our writers every day, we're not going to be biased. We're going to basically just present the facts we do have editorials from time to time. Mm-hmm. But we clearly label them as opinions or editorial pieces and we might have flights of fancy towards this side or the other side. But 99% of our news is straight down the middle. During the protests last year in Thailand was uh, a good point where the Bangkok Post took a pro-government side in the argument and you had other outlets like Kalsod English which decided to side with the protesters. And it was very apparent. And could, they they, were, could they be? Uh, is there a, a political agenda there as well, where maybe they are being sponsored for their content by certain parties? I don't know. Uh, I have no evidence of that, and I don't suspect that that happened. Mm. But there were editorial decisions made by those at particular outlets and some others uh, in Thai media, who were similarly polarized on the matter, favoring one side or the other. Mm-hmm. And they basically pushed their agenda through their news. Now, I thought that was quite a dangerous precedent in this country at this time. We went straight down the middle and we just reported these protests uh, very fairly and very openly without any bias. And then how do people react to that, like your, your viewers, your followers? I think the protests, well, there's been a few milestones in the, uh, the journey of the tiger uh, which have seen us sort of jump to the next level. So wh- why don't we take a step back on that? And oh, let's, okay. Let's let's let's. Yeah, there we go. Let's. Uh, and I think that's probably most of our well, all our ten viewers now. Um, well, putting together the the history of the tiger, how it got started, and let's go even further back to when you first arrived and and your first job. And we discussed this downstairs, but I think that's actually quite interesting and what people would be uh, um, very interested to, to learn and hear about. Well, there's the long story and then there's the short story. Yeah, let's give us the long story. No, the long no? story is okay. pretty boring, but <laughs> okay. pretty much I, I arrived on the island. The business I'd hoped that was going to 2011, leave 2011, right? 2011, okay. the boat building and all that. I thought it was going to go fabulous. It wasn't going to go well. And I arrived here pretty much penniless. And I arrived here, and on the day one, I got on the phone and I rang up the local radio station and said, hi, I've done a bit of radio in the past. Do you think, before I could finish the sentence, can you start tomorrow? Mm. So I arrived at the radio station. Did they have any idea who you were, or was it just you got well, lucky? Well, nobody. But you did have experience. If you are to send your resume in from back home, it, it's not yeah, like I mean, you're Joe Schmo showing up on the doorstep and, hey, I want to do radio. Uh, they... Obviously, asked me some of those okay. questions, and I'd done some news reading and some stuff. So, I started there, and um, yeah, I started doing a bit of radio on the weekends, and then started doing some stuff during the weekdays. The manager left, and I ended up becoming the manager of the station. This is ninety-eight point. Uh, it was eighty-nine point five. Eighty-nine point five. Working for a company called Classic Media, who their brand is the Phuket News. Okay. Great people enjoyed my five years there thoroughly. Nice people. And uh, then the opportunity came to go and work for their opposition, which was the Phuket Gazette, which had been around for some 23 years and was sort of the leading paper when I arrived 
But over the five years I was there, and not necessarily because of me, but uh, that was the time that the Phuket News sort of became the leading news organisation. Mm-hmm. And so the Phuket Gazette tried to poach me, and it didn't sort of work out. Uh, but out of that, um, I got the opportunity to start my own radio station. So, And this brings us to, we're at 2015 now? 2000, uh, 2016. Now we're right into... Two, okay. Yeah, so um, within uh, literally a month, I'd list a radio licence... An FM license. Whoever thought I could ever own my own FM radio station? It was amazing. Uh, I had to come up with a name and a logo and a format and DJs and how are we going to pay for all this within a month? And we got the radio station open on the first of October, two thousand and sixteen. This was all. This all happened very quickly. Very. Quickly. Was it just yourself? Did you have business partners involved? No, it was just me, and um, pretty much I'd been burnt by this other media company. Gotcha. And I thought, <laughs> I'm going to show them. But really, it was a matter of uh, the need. I had to go and do something. I know how to do radio, so I'll start a radio station. But unfortunately, two weeks after we started, uh, the past king, His Majesty Pumipanadunyadet, passed away. Yeah. All the media was switched off. So I just for two weeks started this radio station and we had to turn it off for, for a month. Was that a requirement? Like all the radio stations went all silent? All the radio stations, yeah. It was I, no, I, I, mo- I moved here April 2016. So okay. About that time. And I, I it, yeah, it kind of happened right when I moved here, but I didn't realize all the radio stations went silent for a month out of respect. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we came back on. The coup came, um, the coup was before then. That's another yeah. story. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we went off air as well for that. But, uh, yes, it was a f- off for a month. All the websites went black and white. All the TV stations Correct. were play- playing the king, who was a musician, playing his music. It was, uh, for a lot of us, and people wandering around in black for a year. It was a year of mourning for the yes. country. So it wasn't an ideal time to be starting a new FM radio station. Still, we battled our way through. And then six months after I started, some friends who are uh, an investors behind a, a new real estate company on the island, uh, which was called Live Phuket, which then became Fazwaz, mm-hmm. contacted me and said, hey, we're interested in um, taking over the Phuket Gazette. Would you like to run the news part of that? And I thought, I couldn't think of anything worse. So I did. <laughs> and, um, yeah, th- so we literally took that business over uh, in July 2017 and at that stage, the Phuket Gazette was getting about 200,000 clicks per month, page views. Yep. And we changed it from uh, the Phuket Gazette to the Tiger brand. And rather than Phuket being the focus, we made Thailand the focus. So we nationalised the, uh, the focus and the news, hired some writers. And we went uh, within 12 months, we went from 200,000 clicks to 2 million and then a year later, by 2019, we in April that year, we got 22 million page views. Why do you think that happened? It pretty much comes back to the power of the, the internet. The Phuket Gazette had been a brand that had been around for a long time in Phuket. They were early adopters of, uh, of, of Google and the internet and websites. And so with Google, the, the brand and that domain had a very strong uh, presence and the domain, a lot of authority. Call it the domain authority. It was yeah, it, yeah. It had and it. we also the, the the people who I was working with, uh, Mike, 
Paul and Brennan, they had a very strong technical background with the internet and that has been the power uh, that has weaponized Fazways to become a very big real estate Correct. portal in the region. And in the same way, we had a lot of people helping us get the SEO right. So was Fazways behind... Uh, Fazways was behind the tiger initially. Not like Fazways, you guys, it's the people. Some of the people that who were, are backing Fazways gotcha. are similar people who are my business partners. No, the, there's no association between the I, two yeah, businesses. I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, uh, we don't do favors for them. They don't do favors yeah. for us. Uh, they're a separate business, but we have some of some the of resources the in, yeah, from yeah. the investors are helping to build these two companies. Yeah, up in well, there's actually other companies in there as well. There's yeah. My Medi Travel, and there's something to do with yachts and oh. All sorts of businesses. Now, my question behind it all is, you guys went, again, from 220,000 page views a month, you shoot up to a million, you hit two, and now you hit 22 million, all quite quickly in three years. How did you guys do that, and how could the Phuket Gazette not do that in 23 years? What was the difference? What was the difference maker there? Well, I think there's two things. One, they were focused on Phuket. That was their their realm. And Phuket was a growing uh, holiday destination, which continued until 2019. Just kept going up and up and up. But 2019, they were getting a million visitors per month. An extraordinary tourist trade. I mean, Australia doesn't even get that. Mm-hmm. The whole country of Australia. So Phuket was a growing destination. And... Yeah, if you're a, running a media business, you can see a future. Now, of course, that's changed radically now. But uh, the other thing that was why they probably couldn't do it is they didn't have the understanding of, of SEO and the importance of uh, that's search engine optimization. Yep. They probably didn't have the right people to be able to connect the dots. But we did. And, um, you know, it wasn't me. I... I got the writers and made sure the spelling was right sometimes, made sure this was done right and the branding was good and they worried about just building the back end of it to make it uh, very strong. Um, They also had their own in-house sort of web design and website that was quite old-fashioned when we got in there. We basically swapped that around to a, just a WordPress template. Yeah, they were, and like you, we were discussing, they were probably on a, a custom content management system, sure. which the developer has full control over. Yeah, and, and we found it very clunky. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, by changing to a, just a modern template, I mean, people used to look at our website and go, oh, wow, it looks so good. And that's the reason you're doing so well. I said, it's just a 50 baht template. Are you guys still using the same WordPress or have you merged over to some to another type of management, like a, a custom content management no, system? No, um, we're still on WordPress and uh, telling all our secrets now. Oh. We've changed theme once. We're actually looking at changing it again. And look, we've twiddled a few knobs and we've tried this and we've tried that. I mean, people that have been following the tiger would know that not a week goes by where we don't try something new. Mm-hmm. And I think... The reason for our success is just that we've woken up every morning and said, what can we change today? What can we do today that's different? Hiring young staff that are smarter than me and they come in and say, hey, have you seen this new app? Or my friends are doing this. Why don't we give that a try? Mm-hmm. And we have no hesitation in throwing money at an idea. We think, oh, that might work. We'll try it for two or three months. If it doesn't work, we'll throw it under the bus. If it does, 
we'll adapt it and keep it going. What's the next big step for Tiger in the technology <laughs> space? I'm not telling you. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> you don't, uh, don't give away your secrets. The truth is we probably don't know. Because I saw you have the app and I, I, I downloaded it. It works fine. Yeah, we just launched an app, which again is a sort of a templated app that uh, a company runs. There's so many different ways to do a lot of these technologies these days. And you can either do them properly or you can do them badly. If you do them badly, you're just wasting your money. Yep. But a lot of people do still see the Tiger as a sort of a media business. And that's how we look from the outside. You know, we're presenting the news. But really, we're a tech company. We work really hard every day to get the tech right. Often we get it wrong. But what we'll what keep do you on mean by that, the tech? Because I think a lot of people would associate with that with you're selling some sort of tech service or there's a tech back end. What do you mean you're a tech company? And well, when I say so we're a tech company, I mean, we're driven by technology. Okay. Uh, we're not, the news is something that is sort of what people see, but really it's the technology that makes people able to see that. We make sure we provide news in a way that is easy to consume. Uh, it's quick to download. It's available on a variety of platforms and that we are the company that sort of make it easy and cool to consume the news mm -hmm. because there are so many ways you consume news these days. As we spoke about social media, how can we do it faster, better, quicker, in a more entertaining and informative way? And that's what we have to do. Mm -hmm. If we don't do that, they will find – they're not. there's no loyalty anymore. They're not, oh, I've been reading the Bangkok Post for years. I'm going to keep on following them because I like their logo. I mean, people don't think like that anymore. They don't buy the same newspaper every day because of habit. They search around and find what they want. It's so easy to find information and news. Where is your the, the biggest part of your audience coming from? Is it still directly to the website reading articles or is it now YouTube? Oh, well, it, that's a very interesting point. I mean, while there are still some traditional news companies who publish newspapers who are still struggling with the idea of turning off the newspaper and just relying on their website, we've actually gone so far as looking at turning off our website and just relying on other platforms like the app, like the YouTube and other social media. Mm -hmm. uh, because you have to follow the revenue and the, the revenue models have changed so radically. So, you know, Brendan's Cafe, who used to advertise with a banner on the newspaper these days, how do they fit into this new digital world? How can we get that same money off you? Mm. And the thing is, you have so many choices these days where to put your advertising dollar. And you, you're just not going to advertise in a newspaper anymore. No. Because you're just not going to see the return. So we have to think every day about how we can get onto the best platform that's going to give us the best revenue return. That's the magic pill. And do you think that is YouTube now? Is that well, is that where YouTube's you need interesting? To be? I mean, we've only been playing with it for about two years now, and uh, we sort of fell into it. I was sort of dared during the lockdown, the first lockdown, to do a news program from my living room, yep. and so I literally set up the camera with my cats and my crazy shirt collection. Is that when it all started? Because I, I think then I I must have been one of the first. Uh, people to jump on that with another one of my friends i hope he's watching this shout out to mikey he mikey loves you he he was here during lockdown and i was explaining that he came over here from china for the china new year in 2020 and he got stuck here with his son till about october 
And every other week, oh, did you see Tim? Did you see that? So he's like, he was excited to watch this one. But back back to my uh, my my point, um, the YouTube channel side of it. Now you're getting in, into a different form of revenue, advertising directly on the channel. As I actually, as I watched the episode this morning, so you can a quick plug on those guys. But um, this is new to you guys now. Well, yeah, we we started with YouTube by yeah. just seeing if it works. <clears throat> Can we get people watching it? And so we started this Thailand News today. Now, I used to do a thing called Phuket Extra with the Phuket News in the past, starting that, and they're still continuing that, doing it uh, with uh, with JP. Yeah. Stanza does a great job. Uh, but it was two years between that and us thinking, oh, let's have a play with the YouTube channel, which, again, we bought from... The Phuket Gazette, okay. which is sitting and there. They had uh, how many subscribers did they have at that point in time when you had about six thousand? Very low, because you can go back and I think videos go back as far as ten years, and you have one with three point three million about mermaids. Th- that's the Phuket Gazette. Yes, yes. So they had their own Phuket Gazette TV, but we didn't really know what to do with it. So it was during the lockdown. What am I going to do? Maybe I can do a sort of a four minute breakdown of the stories okay sorry i got we i lost the the story there we're back back so, with the cats so it was me the phone yeah. and uh i would present the news and i had cats i don't know how the cat i'm a dog person yeah but suddenly these cats would come walking past me during the program and then the comment section would be oh what's the name of the cats tell us how are the cats what do you feed the cats see what is it with the cats what are the name that we got i read a few dab <laughs> dam Dab, Dam, Dusty, and Dina. Dina's the new one. Yeah. And I think they're becoming Phuket celebrities now. Yeah, they would if they could. Um, And look, I do love these cats, but I'm definitely a dog person, but Mm. very quickly uh, enjoying cats. Cats to me, uh, I like cats because they're independent. Low maintenance. Very low maintenance. And they are extraordinarily talented serial killers. Yep. They are trained and evolved to kill things efficiently, effectively. Geckos, insects, rats, it's mice, amazing. you name it. I mean, if they were twice the size, yeah. we'd you're in, be you're in trouble. down on the food chain. So you're, you, this is the beginning of the Phuket Tiger News on YouTube as we know it today. From COVID in your house. There was nothing before that? Well, there was t- the Phuket Extra. But not like but what not we on, know, not, on not, the not as we know you today no. with uh, watching, you know. Um, but it uh, was very YouTube. It yes. was like, you know, bald guy sitting down there saying hi and uh, not real. I'd never sort of done a lot of TV before. So then we sort of, after all that, and we got back to the office, we thought, well, you know, we were getting 50,000, 60,000 views a day. Yep. And we were making a few bucks out of it. Not a lot. By the way, if you think you're going to make a lot of money out of YouTube, no, don't even think about it. Uh, it takes a long time. It's, and we had that small. head start of PGTV with the 7,000 subscribers. We're now up to about 87,000 subscribers. We will be at 100,000 within about two or three months. And we think that's sort of when things might take off. Yeah, then it can just launch up. A lot of these... A lot of these Farang vloggers, let's call them CBM Media. There's a guy, you know this guy, Chad. Chad, he does great. He had a, I didn't like his the one where he burnt down. Oh, what that is was, it about? I thought it was hilarious. It was fun. That he got a lot of hate. Oh yeah, he, he got, got a lot more of hate. Thumbs down, yeah, than a lot thumbs of thumbs ups. down. Then you got Esquires here as well. You got 
Maybella, there's, and there's a coffee shop. They're getting famous. They all have 100,000-plus subscribers. I don't know how all these other channels <clears throat> get all these subscribers. I think there's another there's one that here. started. I'm not going to mention his name. Uh -oh. And they're doing really well. And I'm thinking, how are they doing it? Just vlogging or...? Uh, no, they're doing news, okay. which is particularly worrying. Okay. But the thing is, we went back to the office and then we had the office in Bangkok. We thought we're going to just, you know, start to wear better shirts and buy a more expensive camera and be a little bit more, you know, newsreader about the whole thing. And it's sort of, you know, it, when we had the cats and it was all very unstructured, we were doing this. So at this point when you're just, you're, again, the very beginning of through your living room, 6,000 subscribers. Yeah. Okay, so... And I just we, we were to making, clarify that, yeah. We were making four or 5,000 new subscribers every month. Okay, sorry, go back Go back to your story. Yeah. So th since then, we've been trying to do YouTube sort of semi-professionally, a bit bit more proper, Yeah. and it really hasn't worked terribly well. Th then my business partner, who was a great fan of the program, Good Morning Britain, which I've never watched before, by the way. I'm talking about Bill Barnett. No, 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 oh. this is my business partner, Mike who um, said, I want you to be like Piers Morgan and I want you to sort of get in people and I want you to have arguments and people will love it. I said, well, that's not really my style. I'm sort of, you know, just read the news and have a bit of a giggle every now and then and wear a funny shirt. And that seems to be doing okay. Oh, no, no, we want to get, you know, thousands of... You know, so we've been trying to do this Good Morning Thailand and it's gone through about five different incarnations already and we still haven't got it right. Mm -hmm. But the thing is we... We'll just keep on bashing away until we do get it right. What is the goal of, of that show, Good Morning Thailand? I, I've watched probably 10 episodes, I'd say. I, I think it's... You're the one. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you, I'm the one viewer. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, I, I think it, it's quite... It's interesting because it's a conversation. May, it's it's expanding on the new, maybe the news article or the, sorry, the news uh, post on YouTube you did before and it goes more into deeper into it from opinion sitting at a table. So it's, I, I thought it was quite interesting. But what, anyways, but my question few, is, what is the what is the goal, what is the agenda of this program? Well, the agenda is to make money. Oh, okay. I mean, at the end of the day, we want, we want clicks. Yeah. But the, the, the problem we've had is we're sort of, at the moment, we're stuck in Phuket. And look, we're going to be stuck here for a while. We've got another three months of pain before we sort of open up the island, hopefully, and we can start travelling back to Bangkok. But the thing is, the the... The sea of talent uh, who you can argue with about news and current issues is very shallow on the island. I mean, half the expats have left over the past year uh, and the people who are left here are you know, it's tourists who are stuck here or people starting a mushroom product or yeah. there's just not a, a lot of people I can sit there and argue with about the news. Yeah, we don't like... I someone like myself or people that are watching the channel, we would just be regurgitating your information I heard 20 minutes ago. Anyways, we don't, yeah, we don't have I an educated opinion. Yeah, I saw it on the tiger. We don't have a real educated opinion. And the other issue that happened is when we started discussing opinions, the audience started getting very opinionated and they didn't like it. So they're either for you or against you. I said, well, we didn't really want to go down this, this track. People sort of liked me when I was just presenting the news. And wearing a funny shirt. And driving that down the middle. Uh, just down the middle. But then suddenly I'm thinking, oh, well, I think this. They don't want me to do that. Mm. That's not, And it's not something that I feel particularly comfortable in. Maybe that comes across on camera and people then go, we don't want you doing that. So we're sort of moving the program back to 
what I see a, a good morning program should be, which is lots of quick snippets of things that have happened overnight, a couple of big world stories. I get in there and out of there in 10 to 15 minutes. The weather, regional headlines, bit of a laugh, and off you go. And staying so away we're moving from those opinions. Them. Yeah, getting the opinions out there. I just don't think we just don't have the talent in the organisation all the, the people we can go and find to do those sort of opinion pieces. And, and it's, it's not something I, I don't think I feel comfortable with either. It's a lot of work as well, doing the research, doing the fact-checking, to bring your opinions to the table. Uh, I was watching Bill. Uh, I watched the one this morning. It's well, your newest one, and I'm watching Bill, and I'm getting into media, and I'm starting to understand it. For him to deliver what he delivered on that show, that's a lot of behind-the-scenes work. Well, Bill Barnett's an interesting character. I mean, from C9 Hotel Works. And Bill's got his fans and he's got his detractors as well. And what we were finding is that the people who disagreed with Bill suddenly didn't like the program mm. because they disagree with him. So the consumers are changing and they're becoming much more educated. So it, it's difficult for us. I mean, and Bill was sitting there next to me with an opinion. Now, as a co-host having an opinion about a particular issue, I would then have to take the sort of the opposite side of the issue. Whether you have I to play devil's advocate, otherwise there's no show. Yeah, and then I realised that, you know, what is the tiger saying here? Is the tiger my story or his story? Because the tiger has to, at the end of the day, be reliable and accurate. So these are all the sort of the intrinsic problems we've gone through to try and get to where we are. But... The program is evolving, and even today I said to the guys after the show, all right, we're going to make some more changes next week because we've got to get this back on track. So uh, what, what could we expect to see on the next episode in terms of changes of more the More cats, more funny shirts. <laughs> Just puppies, puppies, <laughs> running puppies. Around, <laughs> puppies running around. Let's get. Uh, look, I think probably next week we're going to just turn up with our tail between our legs and just try and just go back to basics. Mm. and uh, just go back to presenting the news. Um, we've got our other flagship, the Thailand News Today. Th there's another interesting journey. I mean, I realised pretty early on as the YouTube was becoming popular that if I ever wanted to sell this, I, I had to step away from the camera and let somebody else take it over. Mm. But YouTube is very much about the personalities and about the people. Yeah, I think you're kind of the face of the tiger now. Yeah. So you can't really. So for me to step away from the camera where I'm not really ever comfortable in front of the camera anyway, was always going to be difficult. Yeah. We were lucky enough uh, about six months ago to find a guy called Jet. Yep. So um, the first day Jet did Thailand News Today, he did a great job and we realised he, he's, he's going to do well. Well, the hate. Where's Tim? Where's the cats? Where's the shirts? We want Tim. People don't like change. So it's very hard. But... I knew Jet was going to work. And so after time, now four months later, Jet does the program four days a week and I do it one day a week. And when I'm on it, where's Jet? Get rid of that yeah. bald guy, the stupid guy <laughs> with the shirts. We don't want him. Where's Jet? So we've succeeded in, in proving that you can change the face of the channel. Um, but you just got to do it carefully. So yeah, slowly. You can't just make a drastic change and, and bring in Jet and have him doing it you know, five days a week. You still need your face there because maybe your, your, yours face is the clickbait, let's say. Because when you see that on, on the, the, the show, uh, I'm more prone to uh, I prefer, uh, nothing against Jet, but I'm like, I prefer your maybe character on the show. 
Well, I th- look, I think the thing is that Jet also, his personality has started to come forward and people are enjoying that. And uh, he perhaps has got the same sarcasm as, as I have. Yeah. And I think that's working for him and for the channel. Because I never wanted us to be the BBC or sort of formal news. I always wanted us to have a personality and for people to be able to watch it and think, oh, that was a bit of fun. At the moment, the news is deadly serious and it's pretty bad news every day. Well, your, your character, there's, there's, it's subtle sarcasm, but the tone doesn't change. So it's it's you get sometimes you got to grab it quick of what of what was the joke. Now does that it, and sometimes it it can be maybe a bit edgy especially in Thailand. Now in Australia or Canada or the US you can say whatever you want, but are you ever scared to crossing the long, the wrong line on certain things you say on your channel? I think what you're asking Brendan is what about freedom of speech in Thailand? <laughs> <laughs> freedom of speech uh, is this is a quirky issue because uh, after working here for ten years, I would say that there is a large degree of freedom of speech in Thailand. Now, a lot of people who perhaps don't live here, or even some that do, say, but the country is run by a military junta who lay down the law and they don't like detractors. There are a few no-go topics in Thailand. I mean, the royal family is one of them. Uh, having said that. Last year, during the protests, the protesters were bringing up uncomfortable issues for Thai people uh, about constitutional change, which would codify the role of the uh, the monarch. I'm not going to say anything controversial. Don't worry. Oh, for us, it's fine. That's it's on you. <laughs> we can edit it later. No, it's and fine. I was going, "Whoa, this this is going to really uh, sort of change things in Thailand." We noticed that the Thai media were reporting this issue. They were saying, these are the things that they're setting out. And suddenly the conversation in Thailand was about things that had never been discussed in the country and were completely taboo. And they were now being openly discussed. I thought that was a very healthy thing. But here they were discussing these issues. I completely forgot the track I was going on. Um, It's more about Okay, freedom of speech. Freedom of speech. Freedom of so speech. So I suddenly thought, well, one of these taboo topics in this country was now being openly discussed. When it comes to the government, I've been to some of these Thai media conferences and I've been to Australian media conferences and the Thai media conferences, they go those politicians. They ask them some really difficult questions. The Thai media. Oh, yeah. Sometimes in a very polite Thai way mm. with a Y and the whole nice Thai thing. But they're savage about their politicians. Mm. So I regard freedom of speech here as different from in some places in the West, but ahead of a lot of other places, like particularly compared to Singapore, which is draconian when it comes to freedom of speech. So we take our lead from the Thai media. If they start reporting something that I think is a bit controversial, well, we'll report it too. But you'll come back and you'll keep your opinions non-biased. You're still you're you're sure. not going to change that direction for the tiger. But there are some times and some politicians, public health minister. Yes, who we everyone heard that story, and that's fine. I think that's fair to talk about as well if you take it down that route. Well, it's just that uh, there are some characters who do some really silly things, and we don't openly criticize them, but we'll report what they've said. And we'll probably say something sort of under our breath and uh, or say something in code that the Westerners will go, 
Okay, we got we it. We get you. But I mean, in every country, every country in the world, sure. you have political influencers that are going to be funny. It's like if you took 100 people, there's going to be two assholes. It is what it is. Well, yesterday, for example, the public health minister, this is Kun Anaton, okay, said, uh, <laughs> amazingly, all those cr- photos of crowded people waiting to get into the Bangsur uh, railway station to get vaccinated. There were some photos that showed the thousands of people crowding in them like this far apart. Yeah, I he saw said, that on your show and you go, and here. And he here. said, uh, it, there's not crowds of people there. It's just the camera angles. Yeah. Well, I said, it's these horrible camera angles. Here's another one of those camera angles and another and another. Yeah. And we showed about 20 photos that all showed these people crowding. So, I mean, he just made a complete misstep. And we'll... We'll point that out just by presenting the facts. So do, we're not do you feel comfortable criticism. doing that? Like what? We, we know we're being a bit cheeky. Are you going to get? Yeah, it's a bit cheeky. Are you going to get? Have you ever had backlash from that? From uh, I don't even know if you can talk about that. Not not from something else, but specifically from the political side, like someone giving you guys a call and saying, "Hey, maybe you shouldn't say that on the show." It's very interesting. And look, our commenters will either go, "Oh, that was funny." Or, oh, you should be careful. Or, oh, I wouldn't say that. But in 10 years in Thailand doing media, I've never been contacted by, or the media organisations I work for have never been contacted, contacted by the police, the politicians, anybody at the palace. We get a few lunatics calling us and saying, yeah. or responding to certain things. But um, those official organisations have never contacted us. I mean, we're but they're sort watching. Of, they definitely have eyes on you guys. I mean, you're big enough that probably they can't. <clears throat> but we we sort of know where the grey line is, and we are prepared to go up to the grey line, and maybe just have a bit of a prod on the other side. But we'll never cross right. over the grey line. And we always take our cue from Thai media. We're not stupid. Mm. Well, we we are trying to run a business, so we're not here to get shut to, down. Or we're not here to be shut down. We're could not they, here could to they shut things. you down? Well, I don't know. We're a Singapore company to start with. We're registered in Singapore. If they want to sue us, they'll have to go yeah, to Singapore and do it there. They could just block or ban the IP to the website. To sure, things but like this. at the moment, I mean, we do run a, a Thai language part of the website yeah. as well. But again, we take our cues from the Thai media and we know roughly how far we can go. As far as being a foreign-owned media company, we also know that we're not here to change Thai politics. We're not yeah. here to change anything. That's not our role, nor is it our responsibility. Now, while some media think they should be changing things, we don't see it that way. We see as far as those critical issues in Thailand, like the future of the monarchy, uh, like uh, the who is the government of the day, they are issues for Thai people to decide. Mm-hmm. We'll report all those issues, uh, taking the cue again from the Thai media, going right down the middle, but we'll let Thai people make all those decisions. We're not going to influence them in any way. And that information you're taking and, and you're reporting on, I mean, it's also valuable for anyone, let's say, that's living in, in Phuket or would be looking to invest in Thailand. Sorry, not Phuket, but Thailand in general, because as things change in the military, as things change in the government, and I'm looking to buy real estate in Thailand, this information is going to influence my decision on that. Yeah, and look... <laughs> A lot of people say, oh, we've stopped watching you. We've unsubscribed because we don't like all the negative news. News. Well, 
you tune on any news station and, and it's not rainbows and unicorns and yeah. ducks crossing the road. It's earthquakes and pestilence and people dying and why, why, riots. Why is that? It's human uh, nature. Humans don't want – they, they say they want good news, but when it comes to choosing something to watch on the TV or what they're going to read on their Facebook feed, it usually comes down to they'll, they'll go for the news, for the hard news. Now, of course, we all need some diversion. We've got our favourite TV shows, we've got the cat videos and all the other things. But when it comes to consuming news, people don't want to know about the, the ducks crossing the road with the, mm. the policemen. You know, yeah. the, the last story you used to see on the 6.30 news. Yeah, they would, they need that, you need that controversy and controversy sells and, you know, when people clash and that, you know, you're crossing these these grey lines, that's what's going to push people to get the views and to get help well, boost at the, the moment, and, and this is another thing, the, the, the traditional media, we were to, started by talking about, you know, how we are different from the original media, the traditional media. You can imagine 30 years ago, some crusty old guys smoking 20 packs of camel a day uh, would be sitting around and thinking, what are we going to write today? What are we going to tell our readers? And they would pick their stories. These days, the way we choose our stories, we've got our own software that finds out what people are searching for. Trending, yeah. What's trending. And the software we use is nothing particularly fantastic but it tells us what people are looking for right now. Could be as and simple as Google Trends. <laughs> yeah, sure, that, that's one of them. Yeah. And then we'll write that news because mm. we know that's what people want to read. So our news is very much driven by the readers. And uh, as far as editorial decisions on what we run, those decisions are pretty much made by the consumers because they've already decided what they're searching for in their they're Google engines. When you're creating your content, what percentage, what percentage of the content at a, as a whole, and say you did 10 articles, is based on driven data on trending? And let's take a risk and try to jump off and do a couple other stories yeah, sure. and see what, maybe we become the trend. Um, probably one in 10. One in 10. Uh, we, st- we still, huh, the, the last year there's been so much news. Uh, the writers pretty much, have, their days have been full of writing the news. At the moment, it's all sandbox. It's all COVID. I mean, we say we're sick of it, but people are still searching for this information. And, of course, right now in Thailand, that information changes quickly. Every day. And it's critical to all of us to know exactly what's happening. So, uh, yeah, we take that role very seriously. So there has been a lot of news, but we're still writing articles about the five best motorcycle rides around Thailand uh, the five best, best beach clubs in Pattaya. We're, we're still writing those sort of what we call legacy stories, stories that will have a, a long shelf life. And is there a revenue model behind that when you're doing the top, top five, I don't know, motorbike companies rental in Phuket and then people contact you and they're, hey, push my company? Um, look, we, we hope there will be a bit of that in the future. Um, and certainly we did a bit of that in the past. We'd say to people, we're doing the top 10. If you want to be number 10... You can pay for that position. Yeah. So it was a bit. Which is uh, that this is normal. This is the business. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But at the moment, the news cycle is so uh, replete with the amount of news we have to do every day. uh, And people just want to know the news. Yeah. This is another problem with the, the news business is that if you're writing a blog about mushrooms or something, 
you will slowly build up with Google an authority about mushrooms. So anytime people go type mushrooms, they'll find your blog. Yep. And then the advertisers you have on your blog would be people who make uh, how to grow a mushroom or mushroom grow kits. Sure, all that stuff. So it's a little echo um, ecosystem, ecosystem, which is a good revenue model. The problem with the news is that your search terms are so wide and they change every day. And the news today is going to get clicks today that it'll never be seen again tomorrow. Those stories just go into an archive. They disappear, yeah. And they are just history after today or maybe even in the next hour. So the legacy articles, the ones about the top 10 motorbikes or the top 10 uh, bakeries in Hotels, Bangkok. golf courses. All that or stuff. Yeah. That sort of information is something that people are going to search for, but they'll search for that day after day. So the news will get 1,000 clicks today, and those articles will get 10, but they'll get 10 tomorrow and 10 the day after and 10 the day after that. So both are important parts of our business model. Uh, we've been doing too much of the news and not enough of the legacy stuff, but we're starting to get back into so, yeah, that. Are you going to be changing like 50-50, 75-25? I don't know. See how that goes. We'll see how it goes. Um, at the moment, I, I would call the whole news business yep. and particularly what we do very, very fluid. We sort of, from a day-to-day basis, think we're going to do more of this and more of that. It changes daily. Mm. And our, our revenue model literally changes daily. I mean, it's all digital, yep. but we have to just look at the balance every single day. And how large is your team? Um, Didn't know what uh, you're going to ask then. Yeah, because a part of the, this this team itself, like uh, that's running the tiger, there has to be a lot of people on the back end, from admin assistants to graphic designers. How to many marketing. do you think? Uh, I'm going to say less than twenty. You're right. It's actually a very small team. Yeah. Um, because of the other businesses uh, with the business partnerships, yeah, we uh, have common admin, common accountants, okay. common HR, uh, and we sort of all pay a proportion to use those services. Yeah. And you've got to have those things in Thailand. Good heavens, they love their paperwork. You've got to keep your accounts yeah, absolutely be, be on the ball as well. Oh, you have to be as a business like uh, like what we do. Um, this isn't the best segue into this, but, uh, I wanted to, we'll jump back, I guess. Well, let's digress. Let's talk about the trolls and what you've dealt with. We discussed this earlier. I thought it was a great story. And if you want to share it, that's great of, of, um, what you've recently experienced on that, that side and, and how you're going to, how you're dealing with it and, and whatnot. Well, yeah, certainly once we started doing opinions and I became more opinionated, we started getting a lot of pushback from people who were on one side of the debate or the other. Uh, we've also had uh, some death threats and we've had some quite negative, nasty comments that we've simply had to remove. Because, mm-hmm. and people say, well, you're removing my comment. Where's my freedom of speech? I said, well, we're a private company, actually. If we don't like what you say, we've got the right to remove it. And if it's quite offensive as well. If it's offensive. And we've got published guidelines. And we have a a fairly large degree of freedom of expression and freedom of opinion on our sites. And people can have a go at the way I look or that they may disagree. And here's my alternative opinion. But at the end of the day, we, we need to curate that to make sure that our brand is not negatively affected 
because we're a business for heaven's sake. We're, we're not an organization that's just there to let you say whatever you like. You don't want people writing in the comments racist, derogatory terms. I mean, there's, there's a line there that what can stay and what can't. And we have to try and figure that balance out every day. The hardest thing over the past two years of running the business has been finding out how to run the comment section. Because, again, the old business model, you publish the news, you sell the newspaper, dad takes the paper home, reads it, it goes in the rubbish bin or it's wrapping up the kitchen scraps and it's, it's in going, the bin go, the next going day. In, going into the fire for kindling. And and dad might, with you know, his pipe hanging out of his mouth, go, oh, I disagree with that. But he's got no one to tell except the wife. Mm-hmm. Now it's a two-way conversation. So this idea of engagement has profoundly changed the media business where it's now everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's opinion's valid, apparently, and it's their right to share their opinion on your platform. So how do you manage that? How do you allow that while still trying to maintain a certain level of accuracy? But it's they say, well, no, we disagree with it. Your facts are wrong. So this is becoming very challenging. When you, if somebody... Are you, are you taking it with a grain of salt if no. someone leaves a comment and maybe they are right and then you have to do a fact check to see ah. it? Has, has that ever occurred where you're like, okay, maybe actually they're, they're on to something there. Let's, let's check into that. And we do from time to time. Now, look, we, we actually sit down uh, and discuss some of these matters. Uh, every day there's probably a comment and it might be there's a spelling mistake in your headline. Thank you for telling us. We'll go and fix that. Yeah. Uh, but other times they're saying, well, hang on, it's not 200 people, it's 2,000 people because I read da-da-da-da-da. And so we'll go and check. And sometimes we get things wrong. Yeah. But we are very good at apologising when we do get things wrong. Now, at the moment, the whole COVID issue is so complicated and there's never been a virus so discussed and this is a, a, a big change point in human history we are going through at this very minute. Yes. We'll look back in another 50 years, or well, I won't, but you know our children will, and they'll say, wow, that was an amazing time where so many things changed. Um, so now, you know, should you wear a mask or not? Uh, should you get a vaccine or not? Uh, yep. There is a lot of nonsense, and then there's a lot of, scientific fact and there's a whole lot of stuff in between and so we have to decide where we're going to sit in these spectrums mm-hmm. what is the, the the truth or where is a band where we can sit and say yeah we trust this information and at the end of the day that comes in on the tiger down to me i mean i'm the one that has to make those decisions so i've gone out of my way to be fairly widely read about this more so than most of the people who are espousing their sometimes conspiracy theories mm-hmm. or saying things that uh, are just factually wrong so this is a, a difficult thing that i have to do it's a responsibility i take very seriously and i lose a lot of sleep at night about it but your your opinions on abc masks vaccines whatever um do you go with the grain because well 
publicly on the news, I better give this opinion, but my actual opinion is this. Or do you always, whatever your opinion is on the tiger, that is your actual opinion behind the scenes? Um, it's a bit more nuanced than that. Uh, I think I said that in a very Australian accent, nuanced. <laughs> it, it's much more nuanced than that. And we, I suppose, my opinions are formed from a lot of reading. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I also, I suppose, read a lot of other media and I read a lot of the contrary media as well, the, the sort of the fringe media, because I need to know what, what's their line of thinking, where are they getting this information, how are they forming these opinions that seem at odds with what we're called calling the mainstream media. And people say, you're just another shill for the mainstream media. I take that as a compliment because we're just a tiny media company and people say you're just like the mainstream media. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) I pretty appreciate that. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a mainstream media company because there is a body of evidence, a trail of evidence on, on all these different issues that flows back 100 years. And if you read the history and you know what's been going on and you avoid the the sort of the outside white noise from these fringe doctors who sort of become internet, they get famous on the internet for saying, oh, that's wrong. So mm-hmm. there's people go, oh, it's wrong. So therefore it must be right. Just because they're a doctor is some sort of credibility and you... Sure. Yeah. But so in some cases I then, oh, I better <clears throat> Google this person. He's saying, well, he's actually not a doctor and he's been discredited by the Lancet. And so, you know, I discard that. So it's a responsibility I take very seriously. I mean, I have to say that if people read something in the Tiger, they can be reasonably confident there is a strong body of of evidence behind what we're writing. You're putting a lot of hours behind the research on yourself to form your opinion instead of, like most people like myself, to be honest, it's because I don't care for the vaccine stuff and all of that. It's not, I'm not anti-vax, anything like that. It's just, I'm so tired of, the COVID that I, j- I just can't hear it anymore. Um, well, now so th- th- that's but, an interesting point, Brendan, because y- what you're saying is what a lot of other people are saying is I don't want to hear about that anymore. Yeah. So how do we keep on pushing out this information? Every well, no, day? I, 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 it's not that I don't want to hear it because you also do want to hear about it because specifically for Thailand, because it's affecting the way that I'm going to stay in this country and every week it's constantly changing. So yes, that part I need to hear about it, but then getting into the more granular ass like side of the stories of, are you mask? Are you this? No, but the high level, how are we closing down beaches? Are we that part? Those stories I I, I'm okay with because it affects me on a day to day basis. And the thing is that on these days we go from being a, um, just a, a business to a source of information, important information. So we are very careful what we publish mm-hmm. because yes, we can write some funny articles and we can be cynical about uh, the public health minister, but sometimes you have to be deadly serious and here are the facts and you will be arrested and it's a 20,000 baht fine and da, 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 yes. da, da. And we have to be very careful and very accurate with that information. And we have to make sure it's presented in a way that is uh, easy to understand and consume. Um, and so 
we take that responsibility. I take that and responsibility very seriously. I think uh, actually that that's let's jump into the next part of, of that portion of uh, of what you're explaining. And before you release the information, such as okay, twenty thousand bot fine if you have uh, ten people in your house. There's a process to that becoming um, nationwide. This is the rule, which I believe. It has to be released by a certain Thai government paper before it becomes official, correct? Well, there's a thing called the Royal Gazette. The, okay, that's where I was getting at with that. So uh, in a lot of countries that have a, a constitutional monarchy where the head of state is the, the monarch, uh, there is a, a technicality whereby they have to sign everything into law. <clears throat> but Thailand is, and you sort of learn this the more, more you live here, that there are laws and there are edicts, and there are proposals, and you have to sort of work out between what is what. And there are some laws, wearing a motorbike helmet, that are laws but are not necessarily enforced heavily. Mm. So which ones are the ones that they're going to enforce and which ones are the ones that are laws but are, they're not really laws, and which are the ones that are just proposals with the politicians fishing for a bit of public reaction? So again, we have to wade through that and try to weigh that news, that information, and we try to be very clear about whether it has been gazetted, whether it is just a proposal, whether this is just a politician's idea, and we try and be very clear about that as well because it's not quite as cut and dried as it might be in the Western media cycle. But it, until it's released in the Royal Gazette, it's not official. Like, it, let's say we're closing the beaches. If you're if you if you were to publish that and a competitor publishes that, it doesn't mean anything until it goes through that uh, news stream. Well, there's an, another thing that another layer in Thailand at the moment, which is the emergency decree, whereby the prime minister and the uh, the group of experts he has called the double CSA, mm -hmm. if they decide to pass a a, a local law like um, uh, close the beaches, uh, th that becomes law instantly. Yeah, and their laws passed in the provinces. So if Pattaya wants to close the beaches, they can do that without checking with the feds. Uh, so there's sort of national laws, and then there's local laws. And so again, we say the beaches are closed. Where are the beaches closed? Which council decided to to do that? Mm -hmm. So again, you have to be very clear. And people reading the Tiger that they could be in. Udon Whoop Whoop, they could be in Pattaya, they could be in Hat Yai. Mm -hmm. And so we have to try, we are very careful about saying that, 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 that happened in this place. And we probably are pedantic about that because it, Thailand is 77 provinces and there's the central government and then there's all these provincial governments. And all these, these, uh, uh, orbitals, sub districts within your yeah. province. And yeah. yeah, it's, it's, so, I mean, trying, <clears throat> we, we, I suppose, do a lot of that waiting and try and make sure we get that information right. Um, and Sorry, I just wanted to jump back onto the, the, the trolling aspect, which we kind of jumped away from. But that information, I, that was even personally for me, I was interested in and understanding that step of the process. But back to the trolling aspect, you were telling me a story about your office or we don't share that here. We can talk about it. Okay. Um, so... Yeah, Tim was telling me a story about uh, a few people that have showed up at his office and wanted to have a word. So can you talk about yeah, that? Yeah, um, we are 
pretty loose and free. Uh, doors are open. Uh, people sort of know where our offices are. And some people have just arrived at the office, walked in and tracked me down and challenged me about things we've discussed. Sometimes articles that have been written that I haven't even seen yeah. that they want to challenge me about because I'm the face of the tiger. And this is the problem that uh, my face is in front of the camera, my name's there, our address is published on the website. And these people commenting are often, there's just a funny name, uh, there's no photo there, there's no way, of, there's no address uh, attached to them. They're trolling and hiding behind the wall. They're hiding behind it with no IP address. I don't know who these people are. But they can say anything they like and they can make any accusations they like and they can accuse you of things that are just clearly wrong or deceitful or negative or hurtful and they can just walk away. Do you give them the time of day specifically in, oh. the, in these cases when people, uh, you, you said one fellow, uh 5055 came in and, and he wanted to have a conversation with you. Do you just kind of block it? I mean, well, ignore I mean, it? In the back of my mind, I'm sort of, I automatically assume that this person is a terrorist who's come to kill me. Okay. <clears throat> and I react by sort of going, hi, uh, I'm really busy. Um, I've got about a minute. Um, and then thinking to myself, how can I get away from this person as quickly as I can? Is there an exit I can get if I have to? Is there an alarm? Is there somebody who can tap on the shoulder? Who's going to run and protect me? Yeah. So all these things are going through your head because you just don't know who these people are. And I know there are some situations that have happened in the world where media people have been attacked by people who just simply disagree. Disagree with their opinion. and Sure. There are some people are just unsettled in their life and they want to blame other people. And sometimes the media is a good outlet for that. And unfortunately... It's my face on some of those stories. And I think there's probably a heightened amount of these people existing <laughs> in the media today because of COVID and the stuff going on, which is probably leading to issues with mental health and pushing de oh, people down sure. certain roads of uncertainty of what's going on. So I would assume today there's much more of these trolls existing than, let's say, pre-COVID. Yeah. So... Do you have any plans for uh, heightened security yes. or, or what we're, are you we're going do? through a situation now where yeah. we're reviewing our security um, and we are sort of going to back out of being quite as opinionated because it's not as if we have either the talent or the skills to display those opinions in a uh, in a, a useful way. So we're probably going to go back to the core of just doing news and. Uh, more cats and shirts. And what, what about <laughs> more puppies, cats, rainbows, <laughs> unicorns? Whatever it takes. What, what about, uh, would you, because opinion pieces sell, you need, you know, you need an opinion, you need the devil's advocate, you need to be uh, discussing both sides of the story. Have you guys thought about maybe bringing um, the right characters well, as, again, as hosts onto the show that could hold that conversation? Yes, but who are they? Uh, they're hard to find. Yeah. And certainly as we're stuck as a production facility largely in Phuket at the moment, unless we want to have these sort of Zoom phone calls, we've got three windows open and, hello, can you hear me? Yeah. T t turn your mic on. It's, it's going to yeah. drive me insane. Because to have a proper argument and conversation, you've got to have the eyeball, you've got to have the hands, you've got to have the body language, and it's all part of the argument. And what, the people need to be in Phuket because... At the moment, yes. yeah. 
So, yeah, there are probably more people around Bangkok who we could engage. But, look, I think that's now on the back burner and uh, we'd like to continue with that type of uh, TV, but I'm not terribly comfortable doing it. I'm not smart enough to do it. I'm not quick enough thinking to do it. Mm -hmm. So we'll find some people who can do that and do it much better. So it's on the back burner. We'll do it again in the future. What's next for the Tiger? Um, where do you see you, got, you see yourself, not you personally, but the Tiger in five years or even a year down the road? Where's it going to be tomorrow? Not, not so much revealing the business plan, but well, just well, where do you see, do you see it growing to uh, a million subscribers in, in Thailand? Because actually a lot of the viewers, I, I had a, a couple here that were in the sandbox. Sorry, this question, maybe it's a bit long-winded. I'll run with it. They were in the sandbox and they knew about you and they're excited that you were coming on the show, but they knew you from the U.S. Because when they're trying to come over here, that's where they're getting their information from. So, I, I mean, I think you will be expanding not just nationally, but globally. And do you see that as an opportunity to, to reach that million, maybe 10 million subscribers and be... I mean, think of how many people come visit Thailand after COVID when this is all done. It's, uh, it's hundreds, 100, 200 million or something crazy like this. Well, we've sat down and tried to think, what is our YouTube audience? And we know that about 60% of the people who are subscribers don't live in Thailand. Okay. So our subscribers are people who have been to Thailand and want to keep in contact with what's going on here, the people that live here in Thailand, or the people that are thinking of coming to Thailand in the future uh, who speak English yeah. or my approximation of English. So th that's the, the sort of the core audience. But I also realise that we're on an international platform. So we could start doing news or information or programs about left-handed lesbian whales yeah. and get an audience for that particular sort of demographic. But at the moment we're saying, look, we're Thailand. That's where Google sees us and pigeonholes us. So if we do a story about uh, something else, it doesn't tend to sort no, of... No, it doesn't connect. It doesn't connect. But anything we do about Thailand does. So our future will be Thailand news on this particular channel, but we do have the idea of doing some other channels. Mm -hmm. At the moment, our focus is on trying to get a younger demographic. Most of our viewers are men over 40, okay. by far. That is slightly worrying. Uh, so we had the brilliant idea in January this year, we're going to get, as my business partner described them as fit young girls, put them in on and get them to do stories about go-karting in high heels and all sorts of bizarre You're just going to get more men over 40. <laughs> That's the that, that was the yeah, idea. Yeah. But they hated it. They said, get this rubbish off. Yeah. We want the news. We want the cats. We want yeah. the shirt. So our, we thought we were appealing to the demographic, but it didn't work. Mm -hmm. But generally now, in a much more sort of planned way, we are going to – and introducing somebody like Jet – who's in his 20s, he's sort of uh, you know, Thai, cross-cultural. Um, th this is all part of trying to change our demographic. Because I can't sell the business when I am the business. So I somehow have to step back and, and back away. Yeah, the audience needs to connect to Jet. 
And that's the audience you bring. And we are going to have future yeah. presenters. So we are looking for new presenters at the moment now. And I've got to be like Homer Simpson in that Simpsons where he sort of yeah. backs back into the hedge. Yeah. That's got to be me mm. over the next, you know, literally the next year. Do you see yourself completely disappearing? Yes. I want to disappear. <laughs> I never wanted to be the face. Want... I never really wanted to be on TV. I so mean, within a year you, you could be off the tiger. Well, well, yeah, and I'd like. I'm quite happy to sort of write some opinion pieces or a few blogs, or maybe to contribute to the, some editing. But uh, as far as the news is concerned, um, you know, I want other people to take it over, because from a purely business point of view, if I have to turn up every day at six o'clock and hammer out news stories, uh, that's no way to sort of go into my seventies. Do you see that. yourself doing this, in, and I, maybe you can't share this information because you have uh, people that are invested or involved, but do you see yourself doing this for the next 10, 15, no. 20? <laughs> what, what is your plan? What, what is, man, what is well, your, uh, if you can talk, maybe you can't. My exit strategy? Correct. Yeah, well, I'd probably like to be um, reti- semi-retired within the next three or four years. I'll live in Phuket for the rest of my life. Yep. All things being equal. I mean, I don't know what the future of Phuket is at the moment. It, it's obviously not in good shape. Um, I've made predictions already saying that I think Phuket will never get back to having the sort of 10 million people uh, a year that it used to have. Yeah. I think... Um, Maybe in five years. Maybe I, longer. I, I just don't think it's ever going to happen again. I think Phuket's heyday is over. Mm-hmm. I think places like Pattaya is in an even worse situation, where I think the days of the uh, the middle well the middle aged or older uh, men coming here for a bit of fun, the R and R side of Pattaya, I think those days are over. Well, I think their wives know what the place is now. Well, it's not only that. I think that this digital disruption and this COVID disruption, yeah. you've got 30,000 bar girls in Pattaya who are now, in the last year, are thinking, how can we make some money? The bars can't open. Oh, there's this thing called YouTube. OnlyFans. And there's OnlyFans. Yeah. And suddenly we have, they're we making... Have a, we have a guest coming on next week for, to talk about this. Thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000. Yeah. Not bar, a month. On OnlyFans. And they're thinking, yeah. why do I have to pay a pimp to yeah. open the bar? That business model has changed as well. So there will be bars, and there, but that whole bar scene that really drove the the economy of uh, you know, soy cowboy and yeah. uh, streets in Pattaya, and now um, they have other options as well. Yeah, and yeah. so those places are just going to have to reinvent themselves as well. Now, I think the bar scene was dying five years ago, but I think COVID has accelerated it. And the bar girls have got half smart. Mm. Good on them. But it's in not just the bar. That's the bar, controversial. Yeah, but not just the bar scene. I mean, the whole uh, process for traveling is going to be quite difficult. And it's uh, there's too much uncertainty over the next five years. What documentation do I need? How do I travel? Blah, blah, blah. I it's, don't want to be vaccinated. How can I travel? Yeah, things um, like this. So I think... <clears throat> Travel is going to be more expensive. It's going to be more complicated. There was a time in 2019 where you could get on a plane and for $50 you could be in a different country. Um, it may not be the most comfortable flight, but you could do it. And you didn't have to dress up. You just walk on on your you know, shirt, show your passport and get a visa on arrival. 
those days are over. Yeah, I think um, it's very similar to 9-11, where it was a milestone day where travel completely changed after that. And COVID will be the next phase where travel is another, it's another milestone where if you're born after COVID, you will only know that form of traveling. Like if you talk to kids born, I'm, I'm 1985. So I knew traveling before 9-11 and after, and like, it's a day and night. And I oh, think, yeah. I think the same thing with COVID, it's going to be a, a completely different process and that will be the way it is. There's going to be a lot of airlines won't survive. Uh, a lot of these airlines have got rid of aircraft that they're never going to use again. Uh, so we're not going to see the, like the, the A380s flying around. Yeah. So we're going to see smaller, more nimble airlines. We're going to see new brands. And the other thing is that COVID is the current pandemic. There will be other pandemics. I yeah. mean, if you think we've had SARS and MERS, they were contained for whatever reason. This one's got a bit more out of control. Now, the perfect recipe or any virus, is to have a method of infecting people who are getting on aeroplanes and flying to other countries and doing it in the millions. Yes. The perfect transmission for a respiratory virus to spread it around the world as quickly as possible was the airline industry in 2019 yep. into 2020. The perfect transmission. So... Airlines are going to have to go, gee, how do we stop being the carrier of these viruses? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're right. Things are going to fundamentally change. And when anybody says to me, oh, the new normal, so just take the word normal out of that. It is it, what it it's is now. It's new. This is it. <laughs> yeah, things are going to yeah. change. And the change that may have taken 10 or 20 years has now been accelerated and happening in a year. The transformation in the bar scene, which may have taken a decade or two, has now happened like that in the space of a year. And there are probably 90% of those bars in a place like Patea, which will never open again. Yeah, and, the, and even places like Khao Sun Road, they've completely ripped it up and revamped it. And sure. I think they know that things are changing. And uh, I think I feel like Thailand's starting to head towards... They've went from a two-star to a three-star, and now they're trying to five-star the whole country. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we'd call this the gentrification of, of Thailand, and the, the government have certainly tried to to push this narrative. Oh, we, go, we want to attract high-spending tourists and you know, better-level travellers. And um, it, But there's always been the option in Thailand to have the cheap backpacker holiday and the well, I think one they're and... I feel like they're trying to remove the cheap Charlies. Yeah. That's, they're trying to get them out. I think the, 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 the thing about what made Thailand special was all those little quirkinesses. Mm -hmm. the, the, the fact that there was a Khao San Road, there was a Pattaya, they're, they're, and the backpackers could come and the people who want to stay in a $10,000 a night hotel, they could all come and they can all have a great time. And that, I think, was the glory days of Thailand. But that will change. And there are other Southeast Asian destinations opening up as we speak. And... COVID has accelerated their ability to to come to the fore. Yep. Uh, China's opening up uh, whole new destinations. Vietnam, there's a, an island called, I get the name wrong, Po Quoc. Po Quoc, yeah. It's a, uh, I think I got that wrong. No, it's close. It's it's south of uh, Ho Chi Minh. I yeah, think it's, it's not, a couple-hour um, drive or something. Like it's in basically in the Gulf of Thailand, uh, just south of the Cambodian yeah, the border. the problem with those places... And, I've lived in China for six years. All these places, they're built for the Chinese. 
So and the Russians. <laughs> so when you get there, so it's you just, say. Uh, yeah. but, but yes, but anybody can go there, yeah. and you might say like the what this is Vietnam, by the way, Pokok. Yep. Um, and they've built the largest cable car in the world that goes like a I don't know four or five kilometers across five or six islands. Oh wow! And you go, wow! That the investment in some of these islands and these <clears throat> new tourist destinations are just changing things. So when somebody's saying, oh, I want to go to Phuket because I like the bars and the beaches, they're going to be able to go and find whole new experiences on islands they can't even pronounce that are going to come to the fore. So places like Phuket are really going to struggle. Uh, I think there's still a future in Phuket, but places like Patong are going to have to sit down, rip up the old uh, report card and say, how can we do this place better for the future? But don't you... I think Phuket's biggest advantage in all of Southeast Asia is the number of flights to the international airport. Sure. Meaning, if I'm in Dubai, to get to Phuket, okay, now I need a visa, I got to get into Vietnam, I need to get to Ho Chi Minh, I got to drive two hours, I got to take a... Fair, well, or, hang on. The, the Phuket's quite new. So they if already, they have... Direct yeah. flights. Yeah, then it's a different story. They're starting to get direct flights. Yeah. They also have a visa on arrival for just about every single country. Yeah. So visa-free travel. So the Vietnam government say, we're just going to allow anybody to arrive in that country from Russia or from China, uh, visa on arrival, and yeah. we're now going to attract direct flight. Because if you get the aircraft there, then the tourists will come. So Phuket's already done that. It's got the international airport. It's got the infrastructure. But these other islands are catching up very, very quickly. But isn't there a certain charm behind Thailand in general and let's say just on the culture and the food as well, which I would say, this is my opinion, the majority of people are going to choose Thai food over Vietnamese food and the culture itself. Well, I mean, I think Thailand still banks on its image back in the 90s. Um, The the why and the temples and the food and the... Kalsan Road and all that. I think you know it's almost a romance and a nostalgia yes. about what Thailand was. I think Thailand is different now and it's slowly becoming a much more modern country. I think Thai people are sort of demanding change and pushing for change and that change will eventually happen. For expats, I think they saw it as the, uh, the, the place they could go. The exchange rate gave them a, a, a good standard of life but retirement uh, monies from their own governments and the exchange rate has changed a lot of that romance as well. Yeah, it's getting more difficult, more expensive. So, so I think Thailand has to sort of, like every other tourist destination, has to change its tune and has to keep up with what people are looking for. No, I think people are looking for a, no. a different experience. On a lighter note, are you saying all this because you're going to retire here? You don't want more people here? Or? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the reason. <laughs> Is that the real agenda? No, I'm joking. Uh, look, I mean, when there were passenger vans, they're all turbocharged. You notice that? The grey tourist vans? No. The noise oh, yeah. they make. They're all turbocharged. The tuk-tuks everywhere, the crazy taxis. It was still a great place to live when we were getting a million tourists a month. Because I knew I could go to a beach. I knew the beaches I could go where I'd still have the beach to myself. I knew where I could go and get a 50 baht pad thai and I knew the owner and there weren't many tourists there. I still really enjoyed living on the island mm-hmm. and I enjoyed my peers and my friends who worked here you know, enjoying a good income and a good lifestyle. And when 
friends came here. I had so many places I could take them. I could take them to an international show like Siam Nuramit. I can take them up to Big Buddha. I can take them to some beautiful beaches. And I can take them to my 50 baht pad thai place as well. So I think it was a great, it's still a great place to live. Sure, it's going to be a very difficult time for the next, yeah, I think, 10 years. But and um, who's, there's going to be a change, but it, there's still uncertainty on what that change is. Sure, and it's sure. all, it all has to kind of play out. And I can't do much for that change. No. That it's, it's the ties on the island. The, it's just going to happen. They're going to make that decision. They have to sure. dictate that. They have to drive that car. And uh, I see the government probably loosening up the visa rules at some stage. I think they're going to want to get well, foreigners Well, they're doing these digital, digital nomad visas now. That, well, uh, they're trying to come of. up with this. I, I haven't looked into that. It's a bit confusing. But, yeah, it seems I, they, need to t- they need to loosen up the visa rules because they are a bit tricky once you live here for a couple years and you figure it out and what's going on it's not it's not that difficult but if you came here on your own as a digital nomad and you're trying to figure out the visa rules you have 20 different visa offices telling you 20 different things and it's a bit overwhelming if you sit down and you compare for example malaysia and thailand as a retiree you look at in malaysia they're begging you to come there they'll let you uh, own land and they'll let you do this and do that and uh, you can uh, buy a car and you can bring your own car there. And there's all sorts of things that make it much more attractive to live as a retiree in Malaysia where getting a retirement visa, the Giza visa as they call it, yeah. in Thailand is more complicated now and you have to have more money in the bank. But I keep on saying to people, yeah, but one's Thailand and one's Malaysia. Where do you want to live? But then on your on the Tiger website, I saw you got you guys, uh, you plug some visa companies so... If you're if you're looking for visa information, visit the Tiger. They got a you got a. There's a whole section on there that you you're connected with. I would assume more like affiliates to help these people yeah. process your visas. And this is all part of a new model of the Tiger moving away from the programmatic advertising from AdSense into more direct advertising. So yes, we do have yep. affiliates now, and it's a, a separate part of the business and sort of like sitting up at the top of the website now. Which makes sense. If if I'm watching your content from the U.S. trying to find information to come into Thailand and you offer visas, I trust you guys. And if it's screwed up, well, then uh, I'll send you a nasty comment. Sure. <laughs> and these are early days with yeah. our affiliate advertisers. Yeah. But it's an area that we, we need to move in. We've made a few mistakes, but uh, we're, you've got to get your affiliates right. You've got to get your partners right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we will work this out. And uh, But... People are starting to click on those products because we've got this incredible reach. How can we use it so we can make some money? What, what else are you getting involved in on, on other revenue streams besides like the visa stuff? Because I, I, that's the one thing that I quickly stood out to me. Are there other revenue streams you're, you're investigating? Yeah, there's insurance and Insur- yeah. um, health insurance specifically for with now with COVID, you need sure. this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, go on, I have to go to the website. It's okay. Drug trafficking, prostitution, <laughs> a few other yeah. ones. Yeah. And I think, how long have we been talking? Because I, I, I can never yeah. get through. One hour, 40 minutes. Okay, that's that's pretty good. So before we wrap it up, um, and a, a, fine, a final little clip. Have I been paid for this, by the way? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, oh, uh, good. I was yeah, just yeah. checking. Maybe we I should have asked before. We just plugged everything. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We'll give you a final plug at the end. We're still new, but I think this one's going viral. Um, (laughs) 
the final thing I wanted to jump into, you're you're going to retire here, spend uh, the rest of your life, let's say, in Phuket, sure. maybe going back so. to Australia. Let your audience have a little sneak peek into who really is Tim Newton. What do you do? What do you like? Where do you... Now, let's not tell people where to find you on your weekend, but um, a little bit more about yourself personally, if you want to share that. Well, look, I have to say, I'm really very ordinary. Uh, I'm quite happy spending my weekends mowing the lawn, dithering around in the garden with the cats helping me, uh, doing a bit of housework, uh, playing a bit of music. Um, I have some passions and I indulge in those passions and they're things like music. Um, I will indulge some of those passions further when I've got more time. But at the moment, I'm very much involved in the business and coming up with ways to perhaps make the business work when I'm not there. So, yeah, I'm still very business-focused. But really, I'll be very happy on the day that I can just step back um, sell my shares in the business or perhaps get an ongoing payment and just go and do my thing. I do not want to be in front of the cameras. I don't want to have a high profile. I want to do the Homer Simpson, just, just disappear back into the bushes yeah. and uh, just indulge in my passions. I think I'll probably keep doing a bit of YouTube and stuff, but just doing not news, but just stuff. I mean, for you, I have a few, this is a bit of, a, a guilty passion. Mm. You'd never guess this in a million years. I, I love music. I've done music for a lot of my life. I love K-pop. Korean pop. Korean pop. Okay. I am obsessed with Korean pop. Maybe you should uh, start a TikTok little uh, show and do the <laughs> K-pop little dance moves. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a big follower of K-pop and it's something that I surprise myself getting all jiggy watching this uh, K-pop and mm. the, uh, the the enthusiasm and the, the, the creativity behind this latest brand of pop music that's become very popular. What's and your fra- favourite band? My favourite band is a band, it's a long story again, but they're called BTS. Oh, okay. BTS. Who yeah. are the sort of biggest K-pop, sorry, the biggest band in the world at the moment. And this band has uh, seven members. I love uh, Blackpink too, by the way. Mm. Uh, they have broken through what I call the bamboo ceiling. The pop music industry has largely been driven by uh, wealthy white men, mostly American, who have determined what we are going to see and listen to. Your Simon Cowles, that's it. The Simon Cowles. And uh, the this band, Asian people doing pop music, have broken through this bamboo ceiling and suddenly the world... Is uh, South American people love BTS, the most popular band. It's there huge the there, moment. yeah. Even though they have no idea what they're saying. Well, they're sort of the band has been half smarter. They've been together for uh, sort of eight years now, and the last three singles have been that have gone number one on the Billboard chart have all been in English. So uh, they're sitting down and studying all these funny words, and they they do them in English. They've now had five number one songs over the past twelve months in the Billboard Top 100. Why do you think that is? They're getting this recognition and trending. They're good. It's as simple as that. They have weaponized social media 
and they a lot of stars do the don't ask me those questions I have a personal life don't come near me uh, no comment this band's done the opposite and they've shared their their struggles and what they eat connecting and, to their fans yes and they've been um, that they, they when they have arguments they film them and they post them say this is us we're raw we're real people so it's been a very interesting process watching how they have changed the music industry. Mm. And again, in another 50 years, we'll look back and say that was a big moment. That was as big as when the Beatles sang on the Ed Sullivan show mm. and introduced themselves to America. That fundamentally changed the the pop music industry at that moment. And BTS are doing the same at the moment. And is that purely from because they're they're appealing back layers and they're, they're, they're showing their, their true colours instead of, you know, hiding behind a... Uh, a public face. Well, that's part of it, but it comes down and to... And they're good as well. ...the music. Their music is good. People say, oh, they're not a real band. They don't play instruments. Well, actually, some of them do play instruments. But I tell you what, I, I was invited to go to a concert of theirs in Bangkok in April 2019. And I went along sort of semi-reluctantly. And this was at the... No, I can't remember the name of the stadium. Is it the Raja, the boxing stadium? Rajamangala, Raja oh. I think it's called, stadium, holds 50,000 people. And it's only ever been sold out uh, for, to international acts uh, for, for one night. I think one Thai band uh, has sold it out for two nights. The BTS sold it out for two nights. And everybody goes, oh my goodness, how did they sell so many tickets? So I went along. And there is a very broad audience in there. People think a band like that would attract you know, 16-year-old girls. I was standing next to a couple that had come from Australia who were in their 40s who had flown to Bangkok to see the band. Oh, wow. And then on the other side of me was a mother who dragged her two children along. She was in her 50s. She was the one who was into the music. And the other two... She, a Thai lady. A Thai lady, yeah. And I, I've got it on my camera. You've take your camera around and there's 50,000 people singing along the BTS songs in Korean. And these people, most of them can't even speak English, even though they studied it for three years at school. I'm thinking this is a fundamental change to the music industry that we've never seen before. So from a music historian point of view, I find this band amazing and what they're doing as a big moment, and I'm enjoying watching them mm. change the music industry and shuffle. And now, do up. you you know the the Korean lyrics now as well? You do you know what they're saying, or you just know how the song goes because you've heard it so much? I, well, sort of. I get some of the phrases, but I'm not really into Korean. I yeah. still have to read the subtitles. But uh, this is a band that's going places. And the interesting thing about uh, the Beatles, for <clears> example, <throat> is they went for seven or eight years, and then they decided to finish on their own terms. This band, they come from South Korea, where there is a law that once you get to the age of 28, you then have to go and do military service Correct. for two years. So the whole K-pop industry has this problem. They nurture these bands, they build them up and they just get going and then members have to leave and go and do uh, con But I think that they can get out of that. There's a way if you're certain level of celebrity status or I think it's if you're a certain... Sports, sports people only. There, that's the one. Sorry, it is sports. They've yeah. now introduced and they've made these changes pretty much just for BTS. They've now, I think, increased it to, to 30 years. But they're still saying they still have to go and do their service. They've just yeah. given them a bit of extra 
time to kick the can down the road. So yeah, th- my guilty pleasure has been following mm. this uh, this K-pop group and other K-pop groups who I just think are doing incredible things and changing the way we consume music and the quality of the music and the quality of the video clips. And look at the people who are just sort of Elton John and Queen and mm-hmm. uh, sort of all that 80s pop. The classic, classic rock sure. from the yeah, 70s, 80s. I went through that too and it was fantastic. Mm. But I'm very open-minded with my music and I'm loving this. I still love all that old stuff as well. Um, but it is a fundamental change. Like COVID is changing history, this band of, yeah. is changing music history. Well, you should bring this up on your next morning show. I think <laughs> I think your listeners would love uh, the... Read the comments of Tim Newton's passion for K-pop. Oh, I call it my guilty pleasure. Yeah, you're guilty. And most people think, oh, why earth would you follow <laughs> K-pop? But I, I get off on it. I love it. Uh, you know what, uh, Tim? I'm, I'm going to check it out just for that. I've, I've, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I've heard about it for years, but I'm, I'm going to give it a stab later. I might uh, need to have a drink or two to, to indulge into it, but I'll, get, I'll give it a go. We'll be playing it uh, during our, our next work day. I've been watching their video clips uh, so many times. Their video clips are out of this world. Well, see, you it's got, amazing. You got a closet fan yeah. right here. Extraordinary. Yeah. And no, then no, this, the, this the is quality it. of the production is mm. out of this world. They have yeah. been changing the industry for years now. It's it's crazy. Mm. Yeah, am- amazing. It's just when you look at what they're producing as far as music and uh, video clips, and these days the music industry is visual. Uh you can't just call it the music industry anymore. It, it, you have to have the video to There's go. There's a production, with it. an entire production value. And uh, they weaponized. I can't think of a better word than they weaponized it. They just got really interesting Korean directors and said, "Hey, do something amazing." And their video clips are astonishing to watch. Well, I'm going to yeah. check it out. I'll. I mean, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a stab. On that note, I always make it this far because then I have to go to the bathroom. Uh, yeah, I'm the, the same. Yeah, the same. The water. I, I'm getting older. Anyways, uh, on that note, uh, this can be your, your camera. Um, plug everything you want. All your sponsors, everything you want, you can plug to that camera before we take off. Oh well, and, did, and you, the, you can address it. Yeah, direct. The tiger.com. T h a i g e r dot com. That's sort of where everything starts. We've got the YouTube channel as well. Um, yeah, we hope we can provide interesting and accurate news for you and. We promise that we'll make mistakes, but we also promise that we'll try and improve every day and do our job better. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to watch the full video on YouTube, come visit our channel, Fruiting Body Podcast. We can also be found on Instagram at Fruiting Body Podcast. Please be sure to share and follow this podcast with friends and family. Thank you very much.